Welcome to Coach, the professional coaching podcast. Conversations to explore what coaching is really all about, what it takes to be a great coach, and why coach training really does make the difference. Discover how coaching can help you in all areas of your life and business in a fast-paced and demanding world. So join us here to share conversations and insights with some of the best coaches from around the globe. Real coaches, real talk. So let's get started with me, your host, Teresa Brooks. So welcome uh, to Coach, the professional coaching podcast. And today I have with me Sarah Rose Bright. And Sarah is going to be a very interesting and a very intimate guest. Sarah featured in the January issue of Coach Magazine. And the title of her feature was Ignite Your Sexuality and Empower Your Life. So welcome to Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And Sarah is a a pioneer, actually. She's the UK's first certified sex, pleasure and intimacy coach and founder of Ignite Your Sexuality and V-Life. And you work with, you know, you've worked with hundreds of women, haven't you, men and couples to empower them to kind of awaken this sexual nature and to live their full potential. Um, You also offer training. Uh, You're very interested in ancient wisdom and sort of the the modern sexology for clients. So we're going to dig into what all those areas actually mean. Um, And the one thing that I really loved about, you know, talking to you about this article and us putting it together was you talk about it as an energy. So, you know, energy, sexual energy that can channel into all areas of our life. And yet often what we find is that we'll talk about business section and we'll talk about the and then lo- and then my life and then my family and then, and then my relationships and, and then my sex life. And in fact, breaking it down like that isn't really the best approach, is it? Yeah. So it's, it's, we're born sexual beings and we're sexual beings 24 seven. That's just part of who we are. Yet we're sort of raised and we learn that sort of our sexuality, our sexual energy just shows up in relation often to another person. When I'm working with people, they've not made the connection that actually that sexual energy is theirs and theirs alone and can be shared with another. And so I like, and um, sometimes people refer to sexual energy as your life force so it's that at, the, at its peak, your sexual energy can make a human um, and make a baby. It's that powerful. Yes. Um, and so um, sexual energy is with us 24-7 and it doesn't have to be used for sexual acts. It can be used for all sorts of different things. So Napoleon Hill well, the Taoists and the Tantrikas have talked about this for centuries. They knew that our sexual energy was such a vital energy that we can use for our health, our well-being. Um, all sorts of things. And then Napoleon Hill talked about that in his famous book, Think and Grow Rich, when he talks about sexual transmutation and talked about using this energy for our imagination, for our willpower, for our creative abilities, all sorts of things, and found that in the people that he interviewed and studied that were um, very rich, sexual, um, they had high sex drives, and this part of them was very much activated and alive. So it's um, about not just seeing it in terms of the bedroom, but as a power that we can harness into the rest of our lives. It's interesting. So interesting. And I I love that. And for anyone that hasn't read the article, go and have a read of it because it is really, really interesting to start reflecting in it in this way as an energy. And of course, 
you know, when you say as a power as well, like anything, it's an energy that can be sort of abused, you know, a, se- a sexual power, sexual energy. And it's interesting to me that, that people generally in such a modern world, when we're so forward thinking, we still pocket it like that, you know, sex in the bedroom, sex with my partner. And when you said at the beginning, you know, we are all sexual beings with that 24 seven. I wonder how many people listening to this thought, oh, am I sexual being 24 seven, you know, just to kind of raise that that of course you are you don't switch it on switch it off but this switch it on switch it off is where some of the problems begin isn't it yeah. and you know this comes from the place that we just don't have any good sex education in our culture so we're not raised to enjoy this aspect of us and what's interesting is that we live in such a, a modern world and we're all about growth and so much forward thinking. And yet there's still that piece about, you know, sex is in the bedroom, sex is with a partner, sex is in one particular space. And it's that switch it off, switch it on kind of concept that can cause problems, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, we've got so, we have so little education about how to be in healthy and right relationship with our sexuality and our sexual energy. And so because of this, and there's so much, yes, there is abuse and there is a lot of that, unfortunately. Um, And there's a lot of fear around how to be if I'm, you know, as a woman, if I'm sexual, how that might get read. So we learn to switch it on and off sometimes for good reason to protect ourselves. Um, However, when we claim this for ourselves and get to know this energy and get to find out what healthy sexuality is for ourselves, then we can have a different relationship with it. And, you know, none of us have grown up, very few of us have grown up with that. Yes, indeed. And it's interesting that you sort of say that it sort of came up for me that, you know, we would try and temper it. So if we were a very sexual woman, we might think, oh, you know, perhaps I'll I'll scale it down a bit or or perhaps I don't. And then, of course, there's judgment around what you may be like. And that that sort of, excuse me, that term, that term healthy sexuality, you know, suggesting that it can be unhealthy, of course. So let's look at those two areas. What do you think to, to that? Can you kind of help us understand what might be unhealthy or not useful for us? And then, and conversely, what's healthy? Yeah. So unhealthy sexuality might be where we feel shame and guilt around our sexuality. Um, so we might feel shame for being a sexual being, for having sexual thoughts, for having sexual fantasies, for all sorts of different things. Um, unhealthy sexuality, of course, looks like imposing our sexuality on another person when there's not consent or where it's, um, you know, um, anything that crosses any boundaries is absolutely unhealthy. Um, and, you know, there's parts of, 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 and things like we have mass market porn and, and, there's lots of areas where um, sexuality isn't um, um, uh, healthy. Um, mm. And so it's out of balance because we haven't got these healthy, haven't got these healthy models of it. Um, so what else is unhealthy in terms of sexuality? You know, when we, when we are, you know, we can be going along with sexuality when we don't know how to 
sexuality can become unhealthy when we're not sure how to be with it. So we might go along with sex when we don't really want it. And then we just, um, you know, I, I work with many clients who've done that for years and how that impacts on their sense of well-being and confidence and their desire to have sex. So there's just so many different levels to mm, it. Mm, it's um, very interesting. And the one thing I, I was sort of thinking, you know, and I wrote down here as I make, make notes as you, we go along is, overindulgence just as you mentioned you know the pornography industry and some might argue and say well what's wrong with that you know I've got a high sex drive and it relieves my stress and this is what I like to do what what would you say about that so so having a high sex drive is is totally natural and normal and in a way we there's a part of the the making people wrong for having a high sex drive and people can feel shame for having a high sex drive and when you know first of all what we define what do we define as high because there's no normal compared to what exactly yeah sex drive and i think having a high sex drive like some some people have a high exercise drive some people have high passions for different things in their lives there's absolutely nothing wrong with that where it can become a problem if it is if it affects our ability to function at different levels in the day to day, so it may be com- be compulsive or obsessive, um, but um, that that's a, quite a small number of people where it can go that way, just as it can do with um, other forms of addiction and compulsive behaviour. But interesting most- because there it kind of starts to change what it is, doesn't it? Because if you take the word sex out and then you replace it with the energy again you can you can see that there's something different going on there but it's just playing out in that sexual arena perhaps yes. because it is the energy like you say and and I'm thinking like possibly where you know high compared to what I guess we might say high compared to my partner so you know if I've got if I've got a very high sex drive what I deem to be it might be totally normal to someone else but who I'm with and where I am they have a very different sex drive and this is a problem. Do do you come across that quite a lot? Well, I come across people perceiving it to be a problem, but Mm. if I'm working with a couple, as I'll always say to them, there is always going to be one with a higher sex drive than the other. It's always going to happen no matter where you are on those scales. And it's whether or not people perceive that as a problem because there can often be a shaming of either the person with the higher sex drive or the lower sex drive. So you're so sexually demanding, for example, might be one story or you don't fancy sex enough might be another story. So for me, it's about normalizing that, that there is always going to be a difference. And then looking at why, um, why it's an issue, what might be going on. Because for example... Two people just might have different priorities around sex. And that's where... At different uh, times as well, of course. At different times, absolutely. So if the other person isn't meeting that need, how can they meet the needs themselves? Or, you know, often when I work with women who are um, feeling what defined as what they call low desire, often it's the type of sex that they're having that's the problem. The type of sex they're having is not desirable. Yeah, it's they don't want not, that. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. And it's and how we learn to do sex is very limited. It's very goal focused. And when we're going, mm. you know, we have this sort of um uh, uh, sort of very deep imprint that successful sex looks like if we're in a heterosexual partnership, that um it's gonna end in some form of penetration. Both people are going to have orgasms, ideally at the same time. And somehow, if we've not hit at all of those, we've failed in some way. 
And isn't and, that just the pattern that plays out across anything? I'm just thinking, you know, in my business coaching and, and somewhat personal coaching, this isn't a subject that comes up very often. But that perfectionism of like, oh my goodness, it's got to be right. It's got to be perfect. So I'm pretty sure people listening to that podcast would have smiled at the part where you describe the perfect scenario, you know, where everything, you know, the climax is perfectly timed and we're all perfectly happy and there's nothing wrong with it. It's beautiful. It doesn't work like that does it of course and that can take away from the joy of intimacy also you know not just that actual act absolutely so when people come to me with low desire where they're bored with sex where sex has become routine or mechanical most of the time they're trying to do this goal-orientated sex and I say to people it's a bit like putting the same coordinates in the sat nav trying to get to the same destination every single time you have sex, which is inevitably going to become boring over time. And so I talk about instead of the goal-based performance model, because often we then perform to try and make sex look a certain way, um, that we move to the pleasure model, which is just like you say about connecting and intimacy and hanging out in pleasure being able to ask for what we want, being able to broaden our horizons beyond um, goal-based sex. And that doesn't mean trying out lots of different novelties and adventures all the time. It can mean just hanging out, having a sexy cuddle, having a lovely massage together, Mm. Um, lots of kissing and, and, and touch, but it doesn't always have to end in penetration or, and this, you know, whether you're in a heterosexual or, um, whatever sexual orientation you're in, there can often be that, that going for the goal of some form of penetration. And it can be as well, just penetration without having to come to some form of climax. And when people start to explore these different ways we can be intimate together, it can be so liberating and take so much pressure off having to you know, create the perfect sexual scenario. I say to people, you go out for dinner you don't, you know, sometimes you go out for dinner, it can be gorgeous. Other times it can be mediocre, but you don't carry the same level of disappointment and sense of failure that yeah. you do when it comes to sex in the bedroom. And sex isn't going to be amazing every single time. Sometimes it might just be comforting, lovely, um, okay. Um, it can be all sorts of different things when we, um, and, and then we're not going to have that sense of failure or we're not doing it right or it's not any good. So just yeah. broadening it out. And it's interesting, isn't it, that, you know, sort of erotica, if you like, and and not having that full performance, you know, it's it's kind of missed out sometimes as well. You know, what is sexy? What's erotic? What's enjoyable? As long as we have this real basic form of sex, it's just that one particular act and it must be, you know, performed supremely well. Um, and we're in these sort of patterns again, you know, sort of comes up for me, we're in these patterns of behavior in all parts of our life, you know, and this is the area that I work in as well. And so we've got that routine, you know, and you, you must hear couples and come on, we've all said it where it's like, Oh, it's Tuesday, you know, Tuesday, sex night, whatever it is. Um, and a lot of people just ending up pleasing their partner, not feeling like it, which leads to the element of the communication. Now, communication is sexy. Talking is sexy. Being able to understand what your partner says is sexy. And I remember um, in my last relationship, I'll share this for context of the podcast, um, at nighttime when it's late and after a tiring day and all of that, neither of us were really up for it. We were far more like day sex creatures. Okay. 
And so we'd get to the end of the evening, we'd get into bed, and I would say, and we would laugh, I'd say, I would love to have sex with you. I, I really, really would, but I can't. I literally can't. Like, no, I can't either. I really love you. And that was like a really intimate moment, just knowing that you wanted to express that, knowing that you, you kind of would if you could, but after a long day and a big curry and whatever it is that you've had, it's just not happening. And yet sometimes there might be that pressure to perform. You know, you go out for a lovely evening, you have a nice time together, and then it's the sex. But actually, yeah. it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, to share with you and, and the listeners, I don't mind, I'm quite open. We used to have sex before we went to dinner. That was yeah. the whole plan. So we would meet up earlier, have a great time, go to dinner, come back, go to sleep, <laughs> because that's how it worked. And that was because we communicated about it. We were honest, open, and, and pretty sexual, but in the spaces where our energy was aligned. And I think that's brilliant because so many people, the, 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 the optimum time of day for their energy is first thing in the morning. It's not last thing at night. So experimenting with different times to having sex is great to find those times that are optimum and communicating. Because if you think about a scenario of a couple coming to bed after the meal, like you say, it can't, might be they, one of them does it to perceive, keep the other happy, or um, neither want to do it, but feel a bit awkward about saying it so they could end up sleeping in separate parts of the bed and all these unspoken assumptions can happen so by just Especially saying early on, you know when yeah. you're in a new relationship with somebody and that seems to be the way it would go you know is tonight going to be the night we've had a lovely dinner and all of that and and so really it's a little bit about breaking out of the mold isn't it and thinking about what we actually want from our personal relationship and what that what that looks like in in all the areas but especially the sex area because getting on and having the rapport in that area is nothing short of fantastic but like all elements of rapport when it breaks it's probably one of the biggest areas of problems in a relationship right absolutely and you know for so many people I was working with a client yesterday and she put so much pressure on that she should want to have sex when her partner wants it. She should perform in this way. And if we started to break down some of the myths that she's carrying, the relief is just palpable. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's okay to say no. It's okay to say, just fancy a cuddle right now. Let's see if we fancy sex in the morning. And also this broadening of what constitutes a sexy, intimate time. And, you know, when we can broaden that out and just be more relaxed in our play with each other and bringing back play and fun because it can we can get too serious about all of this yeah that's a really good point being playful and I think do do you find that for instance do women struggle with being more playful I think it's just I think it's across the board I think across the board as adults we just get too serious too serious yeah 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 you know and and so um, and it is actually a bit silly sometimes isn't it sex I mean there are some silly moments there's some points and so where you just you know I know I have definitely laughed you know over time and you have to laugh you can't take all of that really seriously because it's going to cause problems you're not in a you're not in a performance are you exactly and I sort of joke with my clients you know we might make bodily noises there's fluids we might get (laughs) our legs stuck in our jeans you know all these we're just human beings it's not and like the movies when they're all, you know, perfectly sorted. They kind of glide into the whole process. Exactly. No, in real life, you do get your legs stuck in your jeans. Exactly. You will not come off and suddenly you're not this beautiful, sexy woman. You're just a bit of a mess trying to get your jeans <laughs> off. And, and, you know. And playing and laughter is a lot of fun. And so I, I've, I've got lots of games that I get people to play because then it gets them out of that mindset of performing mm. and, and just start to relax. And when they're playing games as a couple, can both be learners together. 
So it takes that having to be right and, and, and be perfect out of the yeah. equation. And as we talk about it, you know, you realise that if we took the context of sex out of it, we could be talking about anything, like how, how people are, you know, I mean, being able to relax will enable you to, to you know, perform better in all areas of life as well, to, to think carefully, you know, uh, and to be able to collaborate with other people. And so it's not, it's really how we behave, isn't it, as a whole, which is why taking it back to this whole, how you can use it in your life for for energy, for creativity, for for channeling it. So as we're talking about coaching and we're on a coaching podcast, raising awareness of this, I suppose it's the first thing. So when your clients come to you, they are at that first stage of being aware that there is a problem. And what do they normally think that problem is? So a huge range of things. So they may come with a very specific sexual concern. So for example, I don't feel like I desire sex is a really common one. There's something wrong with me is the belief, but I promise you there isn't. Um, or it might be, um, a woman who can't feels she can't orgasm, um, a man who's got problems with erections or is ejaculating more quickly than he would like to. Um, so people who don't know what they want, um, who have um, just experiences, maybe that sex was maybe a key reason their last relationship broke down and they want to look at this area to make sure it doesn't happen again. So a huge range of different reasons. Mm. And what's your approach? Like, where do you just, just talk to me a little bit about your coaching approach and how you work with these people? Because obviously one of the words that you use there was their, you know, their beliefs and like everything, our beliefs, you know, can be a pain um, and stop us from doing things. And it's all about changing those, isn't it? And then there's obviously some, some practical things, but they will be attached, I imagine, to the, the emotional side as well. So where do you start and how does that process work for you and your clients? So for me, what's really key is holding a very sex positive space. So it's very important for me as a sex coach and for, for any of my colleagues that we've really done some of our own work on this aspect of our lives so that we can really hold that sex positive space because most people that come to us have never had that in their lives. Somebody who can just listen without any sort of judgments. Um, And so that's really fundamental. Um, And I sort of boil it down to three areas that I work with. It's the coaching aspect. So looking at the beliefs and myths and everything that they're carrying. So the first session will really look at what are their, what are their key concerns? What are their goals? What do they feel is blocking those goals? What are the opportunities? Because often people say to me, I don't know what I don't know when it comes to this area. So we've got the coaching In any aspect. area, so true. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've got coaching aspects. There's always a significant education piece um, because um, so many different aspects of this people, whether the education's around communication, whether it's around their anatomy for sexual pleasure, whether it's around um, how we learn to do sex and, and the functions of our body in terms of arousal and everything. So there's a whole education piece. Um, and then there's um, and, and practices. Um, also, just within the coaching, is like asking questions about who am I as a sexual being? So not trying to fit that into any preconceived mold or expectations, but really connecting to what really lights them up as a being. So we've got practices, so coaching, education, and practices. And practices because there's the mental, emotional aspect of this, but there's also the body behavioral practices is so key. 
Um, and so it's where this work comes to life. So I might do some coaching and education with somebody in a session and then give them some practices to go and explore in between our sessions. And so, for example, practices, we might even do them together in sessions. So one of the practices that I do with clients regularly is just a guided touch practice where they're touching their hands, but not from a place of goal or rushing anywhere, but just slowing down and really feeling sensation and what's happening, Mm. exploring how their breath is, how relaxed their body is, because often the behaviors in the body are part of the picture that creates a sexual problem. Interesting. And, you know, I'm going to ask you here, and I don't know if this is the right placement for this word, but obviously when you're talking about that kind of connection um, and slowing down and experiencing things in a different way, you know, what exactly is tantric sex, Sarah? So tantric sex, now it's a huge area in and of itself. Um, and there's many different lineages of, of, of Tantra. So the one that you know I've been most um, uh, experienced with is what we would call Neo or Western Tantra. So it's Tantra that in its lineage has come from the East, but has been more adapted for Western uh, lifestyle. Yeah. So Tantra, some people, it, you might define it as a meeting of sex, heart and spirit. So often sex in our culture is just the act of sex. And people can get very sort of um, uh, feel very like sex and love can be separate. They don't know how to mix the two together sometimes. And also the spiritual component of it so that um, for some people it accesses higher states of awareness or it's where they might say that they feel that they meet whatever the God force, the divine, all these different languages um, more so, open it, it sort of that sounds to me like you know very much open to the experience and like you say opening your heart your mind your soul everything, everything. because and we've the, all had sex which has been perfunctory and we just literally in, in our minds up here we've just not been switched on at all it's like let's just get it done and you know the tantric element sounds to me like way more encompassing with all the elements of experience there's a lovely quote and it says tantra is to live every moment orgasmically and and it's much more a way of life and being sex is just a part of it it's using sexual energy to open us up so in the one of the definitions of the um the word in its sanskrit form is tantra means i think it's tan is to weave and and tra is to expand So it's about often we are very in um, separate roles. So I put on this mask and this role as a a lover, as a work colleague, as a mother or or, or as a friend or daughter. But actually in Tantra, it's about looking at our conditioning and coming back to what's really true and authentic for us. Um, So it's very much a way of being in a life path. And to say to live every moment orgasmically, that a tantric moment can be watching a sunset. It can be eating a pear. It can be having a stimulating conversation. It's just that with those times when we're so present that time goes out the window. Because I say to people, we've all had those experiences, even if just for a brief moment. So tantra is not something that's um, so uh, foreign to everybody. We can all relate to that. Mm. And for me, a lot of the tantric practices are very much about being present and not about going any, trying to get to any goal. And yes. so I use a lot of tantric practices. I don't sort of explicitly use the word, but a lot of it in my work because um, it just changes our whole relationship with our sexual energy and where 
our traditional sexual pleasure in our culture is very much of raise the energy in a tension-based way and dispel it quickly for the for the mm. relief mm. it's interesting and, isn't it it's the energy again isn't it it's the energy of being it's the energy of sexuality it's like how it shows through as well in everything you do like some people would describe other people as sexy mm-hmm. and they might not really be doing anything <laughs> sexy per se it might just be the way that they speak or the way that they are moving or the, just the, it, but it's their energy isn't it they yeah. think, oh that's a really sexy guy or sexy woman um and that person probably wouldn't view themselves as sexy they'd be like oh you know they might be surprised to hear that so it's all about the energy that we have, which may make us, <clears throat> excuse me, the energy that we may have that will make us appealing to others, but also really um, standing in our own sexual energy in a re- really, really healthy way. And, I, and I've always imagined the tantric space to be, I have this sense of it being long <laughs> like so so sort of hours um of this but also that just aligns with that this is a long-term thing it's constant right constant experience not just absolutely. in that boxed way yeah absolutely and i sort of use the word radiance you know like you walk somebody yeah. walks in the room and they've just got this radiance about them like a, a vitality that's just doesn't matter what they're wearing, what they look like. There's just something about their energy that just shines through. And it's that sort of when we've got that really strong connection to cultivating our life force. Because if we're feeling shame around our sexuality yeah. or we hide it, you know, the, the, I love the quote, is it t- the T. Harvey Ecker quote, how we are in anything is how we are in everything. This and is it. So it will just affect every aspect of our lives. But when we can be comfortable with our sexuality, and harness that then that just really ripples out and I've literally seen people I've seen their lives go from like black and white to multicolor when I've worked with them it's like Mm. you know it's so much has changed that's Um, incredible that's so uncomfortable it's so rewarding isn't it as a coach to see that happening in whichever space you're working in and I, I think the word to sort of bring in here feels right to bring in the word empowerment because when you do become really empowered it brings that confidence, but it also brings a really relaxed sense about who you are and loses any of that fear of judgment from others, which so often limits us, doesn't it? So worried to be, to be judged or to, to get it right, to get it perfect. And again, it just goes into every area. And I'm thinking, well, clients I work with, they, they come to me to talk about uh, business and to improve their business and their marketing and their sales, but their energy is vital but yet we don't talk about sex. So I'm interested to think about what would your advice be? Because I know you work with quite a lot of life coaches as well and encourage coaches in that space to talk about sex. And some may, some may not. And especially, I guess, if they're uncomfortable with their own sexuality, they might think, well, I don't need to go there. But if you're a life coach, then that's, part, that's a big part of life and a big part of energy. What, what would you say to other life coaches that perhaps haven't tackled this with clients at all perhaps it's not come up so I'd say first of all if you're not comfortable with it it's really good to get some to to have a look at this aspect of yourself of of your life for yourself because there's just an energetic container that we hold and so many times I've had clients come to me and said I just didn't feel I could talk to my coach or therapist about this area of my life it's just like they sensed it and I think oh the the coach was wouldn't be comfortable yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so I think it's really important if we don't feel comfortable about it 
to look at this area of our life. And I promise you, if you don't feel comfortable in the examine this, you're going to free up a lot of energy that you're holding on to around yeah. this. Um, and because if you're talking it from a place of discomfort, that's going to come across. So first of all, just, you know, and it might just take, you know, a session or two with somebody to just feel a bit more relaxed about this area of your life. It might take more. Um, so I say, first of all, that's really important. Secondly, to say that you, to raise this with a client, you don't have to be an expert. No. For example, and I think that's what stops people from raising it. So for example... Oh, it's not might, my field. We won't exactly. go there. I'm not the yeah. expert in that. Yeah. However, you might say to a client, because I had an extreme, I had someone who came to work with me and she'd been seeing a therapist every day, every week for seven years and the therapist had never asked her about sex. Really? It was absolutely the place she needed to go. And that's an extreme example. Mm. But it might be that you might say to somebody, um, how is your sex life? How, do you, how is your relationship with that? Does that feel um, something that feels comfortable or not? And then if they say not, then you can say, that might be a, an area worth exploring. And here's, here's someone I can refer you on to. Mm. So that you're just signposting. Because there's areas I know as a sex coach, that say, for example, somebody had a whole heap of money stuff come up. I can be like, well, that's not my area, but I'll find someone or suggest you find someone yeah. where it is. It's responsible coaching, isn't it? Yes. And as, as trained coaches, we are taught to look for these areas of referral, to raise around where we may see and then signpost and, and, and refer out and acknowledge and yeah. you know maybe it's the word sex you know as soon as you might think let's say for instance I've worked with I work with clients and I know some of the energy around some of this for them this this will be because I've worked with them for quite a long time mm-hmm. and my coaching is a, 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 a big mix of personal and business yeah. Um, and so it comes into it, but maybe they wouldn't have to use the word sex. I suppose it might shock some clients as well. To say, how is your sex life? It's very, oh, oh, I don't know. You know, very British of us. I'm a big fluster. But if you're talking about different areas of life, like you suggest there, Sarah, and relationships, and actually if you can hear what they're telling you about their life and their relationships and their partners, it will show itself anyway. If you're a good coach, you will hear that, you will see it, and you, get, you measure how, how you can go to it and in what way that suits where they are at that they will respond positively to. Because again, it's all about the energy. If it's all blocked in there and they're very unhappy with their sex life, they're probably spending more time thinking about it than a lot of other things they need to be thinking about, right? Absolutely. It could be a huge drain. And, you know, I'd say if you're a coach who does an intake form, then to ask about that area of your life, if it's appropriate, obviously in business coaching, you wouldn't necessarily. Yeah, my form um, might look a little weird with that question on it. Yeah. But, you know, when I look at wheel of, yeah. even the coaching wheel of life, yes, yeah. I have never seen one with sex on it. No, you're right. And so it's always referred to as relationships, but actually it's too very interlinked but very distinct things and it's very easy for it to get lost in the relationship discussion if the coach isn't comfortable about it or the client's not comfortable about it interestingly doesn't that just show our constructs in society of like how we are it's not a mistake that it's not on the wheel for instance is it it's just not because we're not going there you know it's not being 
it's not, it seemed just like, well, sex, what's something else? We don't need that, that on the coaching wheel. I'm not suggesting anyone's consciously thought that when they've designed yes. one, but you know what I mean? It's that yep. this goes into a bigger picture of society and the expectations Absolutely. of sex and what is, is or isn't. So maybe if I want to talk about sex in my coaching that, oh, you know, maybe I can't talk about sex and that poor woman's waited seven years to talk about what she needs to talk about. But the sad thing is that this happens with a lot of people, which brings up another word for me, which is taboo. You know, I was exactly that word. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know that we're in 2020 and we might think that the word taboo belongs you know several decades back but I, I'm not so sure that it does and I'm sure you'll tell me that it it, it doesn't a hundred percent it doesn't and it's such a taboo topic for so many places and that's why one of my passions is taking this topic out to areas that they're not really having the conversation about to make it a safe bridge because so many people it's the fear and all my clients have some level of fear when they first come to me in fact I've had people who are grown up um, professional people literally cry when they first talk to me about it on the phone. And every single time I say to my clients, I promise you it will get easier as we talk about it. And then one, sometimes the first session, two, three sessions down the line, they're like, oh my God, I wish I'd done this years ago. Yeah. What what happens when it comes to sex is we have no one often to talk about it. We can't often talk about it honestly with our partners or our friends honestly that's the key people talk about it all the time don't they in life joking laughing partners we would say it's a big part of our life but talking honestly about what me might be wrong or what you might want or thinking I don't really want to suggest this to a partner they might think I'm a bit strange or um they don't want to know and then of course you know people that are so relieved to be able to talk to you about it but You've also, I know we've spoken in the past, you've also had resistance, haven't you, Sarah, when you've tried to take this conversation places in society. Let's talk about that a little bit because it just, again, exhibits the the restrictions really that are unspoken, the taboo. Well, I once took it to, once a few years, maybe only five years ago, I was going to speak um, quite a, a large personal development network with lots of coaches and things. And we put out a presentation. I agreed it with the um, network organizer that was very safe. So, you know, I like to build bridges to make it safe and, and, and approachable. Um, and they had people emailing in saying that they shouldn't be having this conversation. Um, really? And yeah. They actually, um, nobody, we had, we had one person book, but we had this flurry of emails saying they couldn't believe that we were discussing this and it's not appropriate for this network and all sorts of things. Wow. It was both of us were stunned, you know, Mm. stunned. This is just a, a, you know, and so what they're saying, those people is this is not okay for me. This is scary for me. I I, I don't want to go somewhere where this is going to be raised. And it just shows exactly the, the blocks that they have and the fears that they have. It's like, I'm not going to go to a conference or go talk about sex. Why, why would I want to do that? Well, you know, I'm going to learn about business or whatever it might be. And it just shows how close, but also that the, the beliefs that sit there about where that should be in a conversation, whether that's yeah. right or that's wrong, or let's, let's keep it over there in the therapy room. Let's keep it up there in the bedroom. And what happened as a result of this? Did you go ahead or did you not no. go ahead? No, didn't go no, ahead. No, it didn't happen. And, and a number a of shame. people from the newsletter, when it was sent out, unsubscribed. And the organizers said they'd never had that happen before as well. 
So it just goes to show how deep some of this goes. And I'm hitting the taboos, you know, all the time and see that in my work. And it's so much, you know, because it's so ordinary to me, I forget how extraordinary. Does it still surprise you when you come up against that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Because this is the thing, sex is ubiquitous. It's absolutely everywhere. But on another level, it's totally invisible and nowhere, you know. So it's we've got this real paradox in our society. And the fact that we don't have a, a proper curriculum around this area of our life that affects, you know, affects everybody. We're all born of it. It's utter mm. madness. And I feel that I wouldn't see probably 75% of my clients if they'd have had really good sex education. And it's that lack of sex education and then learning from things like porn um, and all the movies, we don't have any reference points for it. So what we see on porn, what we see on the movies becomes the reference point. And so we just have such limited places to learn from. Um, and so there is so much work to be done around this. So yeah. much work. What's interesting, just to, to continue on that education point, is that, like it says in the article, the problem with sex education is very little of it. It's very fear-based, like yes. how not to get pregnant, how not to get an STD, how not to do this, how not to do that, and how you must be in a committed relationship, and you must be this, and all these things that are coming in that are just being taught some consciously some unconsciously of course by the time you get to you know your teens your late teens early 20s and you're starting to be in sexual relationships you've you've got all this stuff in your head and so you you've got a lot to deconstruct we've all got a lot to deconstruct and I think it's incredibly interesting and I hope that everyone that's listened to this has found it incredibly interesting too and can relate some of it to their own life their own sexuality their own energy in whatever way that they need to do that and know as well that there are people like you out there and just ask yourself, you know, why haven't I spoken to anyone about this? What, what is this all about? You know, just raising that awareness of what's the problem or at least your perceived problem, first of all. And there's so much that can be done these days. There's so much help out there, but it's only as good as when you go and find it right and what you're going to do about it like anything. So If people yeah. want to find you, where do they find you, Sarah? Just to add one thing to that. I think yeah, to say that, you know, as sexual beings, it's lifelong learning. Just as like we adapt mm. our health in our life, like we all oh, that type of exercise doesn't work for me anymore, that type of food. It's exactly the same with sex. So even if you don't have what you might perceive as a problem, but you're wondering what's possible mm. to go out there to so many books, courses, YouTubes, everything nowadays. And it's just a great, I think we have think this perfect sexual being, we should know what to do. And we shouldn't just know to how to be a good lover is a total myth. And mm. learning is so much part of it. And then we can brave the conversations with our partners. What do you like? What do you enjoy? What should we learn together? So I just see it as something that's lifelong learning. Exactly. Um, because as you get older, things change. You change. Yeah. Your body changes. Your desires, your priorities, your needs, everything. And, you know, sex when you're 19 is not going to be the same as sex when you're 70, right? And, and, and especially for women during that middle part where you're going through, you know, perimenopausal, menopausal, things change, and then it needs to change with it, doesn't it? So that's a big communication piece, like with yourself and with your partner. 
um, knowing that it's like you say, it's not going to stay the same and sex through the stages of your life is, is different. Like everything. Otherwise it would, otherwise it'd be very boring, wouldn't it? If we were just doing the same thing the whole time. (laughs) So let's change it up anyway. So we can find you, uh, sarahrosebright.com. Where are you on social, Sarah? Where do you like to be found? So um, YouTube, um, Sarah Rose Bright, Instagram, Sarah Rose Bright, Facebook, Sarah Rose Bright, um, <laughs> and sign up to my newsletter. I've got a three two-part video series on how to move from the goal-based pleasure to just pleasure-based pleasure. So it's Excellent. a two-part video series talking about the theory, but also some really great practical tips on that as well. And please reach out if you have any questions, if I can make referrals, resources, or if you're a coach and you want to look at this area of your life, you know, please feel free to get in touch because um, it's, it's, it's a passion to spread this as you can see absolutely and you're very good at it too and thank you for sharing so many wonderful insights there and i think you know i would say to to anybody listening just have a look at your sex life and ask yourself you know what what do i want out of this or what am i not getting out of this what what could i do to make it better because like we want to be great in every part of life don't we why shouldn't we enjoy a good full sexual life and stop pocketing it off in these little sections. So starting to think about it, having the conversation, talking to a partner, uh, being honest with yourself before anybody else as well is of course, you know, a great thing to do. So I hope it's like set some little fires alight. Um, the podcast has been so, so much fun talking about this with you. Yeah, likewise. And just to say as well that you can have all of these conversations if you're not with a partner. So it's, it's, it's for everybody, really, really for sure. So thank you so much for creating space for this conversation as well. I really oh, appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Bye-bye. You can read Coach Magazine for free online every quarter. Just subscribe at coach-magazine.com and receive it direct to your inbox. You can order print copies, book a directory listing, find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. 